0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of Unfit to Print. I'm your host, Amber Athey. I'm the Washington editor for The Spectator World and a senior Blankley fellow with the Steamboat Institute. Here's what we're covering today. We've got the latest on the pro-abortion protest after the draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked from the Supreme Court. We're covering the FDA's reversal on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Biden's new nickname for Trump supporters, Ultra Maga. Dave Chappelle being attacked during a show in Hollywood. And finally, the nationwide shortage on Baby Formula. Stay tuned for all of this and more, but in the meantime, if you support the show, please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and take that extra step, give us five stars, and write a little review. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, and get some access to exclusive content coming very, very soon, then you can go to amberathe.supercast.com and subscribe. And let us know in the comments what kind of exclusive content subscribers would like to see, and we will do our best to bring all of that to you and more. We are kicking things off this week with the latest on the pro-abortion protests that are sweeping the country after a draft-majority Supreme Court decision was leaked to Politico. And in this draft-majority opinion, which was authored by Justice Samuel Alito, one of the uh, conservative members of the Supreme Court, the court says that they're prepared to overturn Roe v. Wade. And Roe v. Wade was the landmark abortion case from about 50 years ago. That basically wrote into the Constitution a right for a woman to get an abortion. That's not actually in the Constitution. The Supreme Court got there by looking at the unenumerated right to privacy and basically saying that abortion is women's health care and women get to make decisions about their own health care under the right to privacy. Uh, the court is now going to argue, according to this draft majority opinion, that this is not a right under the Constitution and that this issue should therefore be kicked back to the states federalism it's a beautiful thing Um, i warned last week on this podcast that we were going to see violence pretty soon in response to this there are a lot of demonic forces out there who really relish the idea of being able to kill their children and they are have been out in full force since last week's episode So in Los Angeles, for example, we saw people throwing rocks and bottles at police officers, smashing police cruisers, injuring a police officer. There's been acts of vandalism at Catholic churches around the country. There was an arson case and vandalism case at a pro-life group's headquarters in Wisconsin. And the list really goes on and on. The protesters actually showed up outside of the homes of multiple Supreme Court justices, including Chief Justice John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, Samuel Alito. And I just want to remind you guys what the Biden administration said in response to some of these protests last week, because they really tried to downplay the fact that these things were clearly intimidation tactics things were starting to get violent, and here was what Jen Psaki had to say at the time.
1: Not about yesterday, so just about moving forward, these activists posted a map with the home addresses of the Supreme Court justices. Is that the kind of thing this president wants to help your side make their point? Look, I think the president's view is that there's a lot of passion, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of uh, sadness from many, many people across this country about what they saw in that leaked document. Uh, we obviously want people's privacy to be respected we want people to protest peacefully if they want to to protest. That is certainly what the president's view would be. So he doesn't care if they're protesting outside the Supreme Court or outside someone's private residence? I I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest. We we want it, of course, to be peaceful. And certainly the president would want people's uh, privacy to be respected. But I think we shouldn't lose the point here. The reason people are protesting is because women across the country are worried about their fundamental rights that have been law for 50 years, their rights to make choices about their own bodies and their own health care are at risk. That's why people are protesting. They're unhappy. They're scared.
0: Yeah, so I guess we all just missed that whole passionate clause uh, that says you can violently protest or try to intimidate Supreme Court justices so long as you're just really upset about the issue. I, I had never been aware of this before now. I really thank White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki for bringing that to my attention. Uh, right after she said this ridiculous excuse, um, minimizing what these people were doing to try to again keep the right to kill their babies, this is this is what went down. So here's some footage from the protests in LA that I mentioned, where protesters were clashing with police officers. Let's watch that. <laughs> Very passionate people. I see a lot of past- passionate people in that clip. Now let's watch the protest outside of Justice Alito's house earlier this week.
1: Right, a right. you don't care people die.
0: So naturally, these people did not stop outside of the justices' homes, they did not stop by storming the streets or chanting outside of the Supreme Court. A group by the name of Ruth sent us, in reference to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, by the way, was not even a fan of Roe v. Wade, they decided that they were going to go after Catholic churches. Now, this is a common, uh, I think, misrepresentation of the pro-life movement by pro-abortionists, and... You don't have to be religious to be pro-life. I mean, I'm Catholic, and I certainly think that that informs my pro-life position because church teaching is that every life has value at the moment of conception, regardless of how that individual was conceived. But you can be pro-life just by looking at science. I mean, this is the trust the science crowd, right? Science has developed to phenomenal levels that allows us to see the beautiful things that happen in the womb throughout every stage of development throughout the pregnancy, uh, that's a really beautiful thing. And I think if these people had to actually reckon with what they were doing and look at the images and the videos of these babies and, and even worse, what happens when these babies are aborted in the process that they have to go through, uh, maybe they would take a look at themselves and what they're doing. But point being, you don't have to be religious to be pro-life, but this is really an excuse to attack religion, because again, these a lot of these people are are frankly demonic, and they want to go after Christianity, they want to attack churches, they want to attack religion, and this is a convenient excuse for them to do so. So this Ruth Sennas group went absolutely bonkers. I mean, they're straight up nutbags. They started going to Catholic masses on Sunday and trying to interrupt them a lot of them were dragged out by security, and they also threatened to burn the Eucharist, which um, for those of you who aren't Catholic, um, once the, the Eucharist is prayed over by a priest, we believe in something called transubstantiation, which means that this bread and wine, the symbols of the bread and wine, actually become Jesus's body and blood. Um, I kind of like the idea of the Ruth sent group kind of not understanding this and just stealing like a package of host out of the church, unconsecrated host, and burning it because it would be a total waste of their time. But if they are burning actual consecrated host, it's blasphemy. And again, demonic. So really disgusting group. But I want to get into the legality of some of these tactics because I've seen a lot of people try to justify this by saying... Well, as long as they're not explicitly violent, then they're peaceful and they're fine. That's actually not the case uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you read the U.S. Code on picketing and parading, it actually makes quite clear that trying to lobby justices or judges to change their opinion by applying public pressure like this is obstruction of justice. So let me go ahead and read this section of the U.S. Code, you guys. This is 18 U.S. Code 1507. Whoever, with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States. Or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer, and then we'll do a little ellipses dot, 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 or resorts to any other demonstration or in or near any such building or residence shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. So, pretty clearly, you cannot go to a Supreme Court Justice's house protest outside in the hopes of changing their opinion on an active case. That is obstruction of justice, and it is against this portion of the U.S. Code about what constitutes an appropriate and legal protest or picket. Then if you go into the Code of Virginia, and this is applicable because this is where Justice Sam Alito lives. This is where the protest took place on, uh, I believe it was Sunday night. The Virginia code actually prevents people from assembling outside of a private residence. The code here, it's 18.2-419, says any person who shall engage in picketing before or about the residence or dwelling place of any individual or who shall assemble with another person or persons in a manner which disrupts or threatens to disrupt any individual's right to tranquility in his home shall be guilty of a class three misdemeanor. So we've already established that Picketing outside of the Supreme Court Justice's home is illegal under the U.S. Code and under the Virginia Code. I'm not sure if there's a similar law in Maryland, which is where Kavanaugh and Roberts live, but I wouldn't be surprised. Now let's talk about the legality of going in and interrupting Catholic masses. Because it turns out, uh, yeah, you can't do that either. There is a law known as the FACE Act, and it was actually uh, signed into law by Bill Clinton in 1994, and it was intended to protect people's ability to go into abortion clinics and receive an abortion without being um, uh, harassed or being threatened. So this is called the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. However, Republicans at the time decided to institute this amendment to the bill that also protected religious institutions. So this FACE Act of 1994 prohibits the use of threat of force and physical obstruction that interferes with a person seeking to obtain reproductive health services, which of course we know usually means abortion, but also prevents people from trying to interfere with people who are exercising the First Amendment right of religious freedom at a place of religious worship. So, basically, every form of protest that these pro-abortion people have been doing uh, since this, this uh, majority opinion was leaked is illegal. You can't come outside of a justice's home trying to sway their opinion or obstruct justice. You can't pick it at a private residence in Virginia. And you can't try to interfere people who are at a religious service inside a religious institution. It's all pretty simple. So what did Jen Psaki do in the face of all of this overwhelming evidence when she was finally asked about it by reporters who decided to suddenly do their jobs? Well, she backtracked. Here's what she said.
1: You suggested that uh, peacefully protesting outside the homes of of judges and and Supreme Court justices uh, is is part of uh, freedom of expression and and part of of what we do in the United States. but There's a a law in Virginia that actually prohibits um, uh, protest outside private residence, even when it's done peacefully. Um, So I'm wondering if uh, any sort of uh, demonstrations outside private homes might run follow up that law and other laws like it. We're certainly not suggesting anyone break any laws. I would note that the president's view has long been, and I tweeted this earlier this morning and repeated and made a number of these comments last week as well, that uh, violence, threats, and and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, we are a country that promotes democracy, and we certainly allow for peaceful protest uh, in a range of places in the country. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that. Uh, And it should never, resort to violence, to threats, to intimidation in any way, shape, or form. Uh, But that is what uh, our position is and the president's position
0: So there it is. Finally, she goes from merely condemning violence, but trying to justify people protesting outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes to explicitly denouncing any illegal form of protest because the reporters there backed her into a corner. She really had no choice. But other members of the Democratic Party aren't really uh, taking that tact at all. In fact, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot tweeted on Monday afternoon or Monday evening that she wanted the LGBTQ community to take up arms. To my friends in the LGBTQ community, The Supreme Court is coming for us next. This moment has to be a call to arms. She went on, we will not surrender our rights without a fight, a fight to victory. Where are the calls about an insurrection? We have pro-abortion protesters trying to obstruct justice through intimidatory tactics, and we have a Democratic politician egging them on as well as calling for them to take up arms against the government. The last I checked, they impeached Trump for far less than that. I mean, Trump was impeached for daring to take an hour to issue a tweet telling telling people to go home during the Capitol riot, and he was accused of inciting violence for telling people to fight back against voter fraud. And his Twitter account, by the way, was permanently suspended because he said uh, that he wasn't going to the inauguration. So if Trump can be impeached for that, then Couldn't we impeach Biden for taking a week to denounce these illegal protests seeking to obstruct justice outside of Supreme Court members' homes? Couldn't Lori Lightfoot be removed from office for telling people to take up arms against the government over a legal opinion that simply sends an issue of abortion back to the states? I would think so. Are Republicans going to do anything about it? No, we already know they're not. They never do anything. This will be a prime moment for Republicans to say, we are not going to accept your disrespect of law and order. We're not going to accept you undermining our institutions. We're not going to accept calls for violence. We're certainly not going to have another summer of love like we did in 2020 and and do something about it. I understand they're in the minority power party, but the minority party still has certain uh certain rights and powers afforded to them. But they won't do it, they'll just angrily tweet. Let's talk about the latest from the Food and Drug Administration. Just last week, the FDA said that they were strictly limiting use of the Johnson & Johnson single-dose coronavirus vaccine. Why? Well, it turns out the risk of severe and life-threatening blood clots was a lot higher than they originally told us. Now, this is probably not a surprise to any of you guys. I know it's not a surprise to me. I think all of us were aware to at least some extent the government was going to downplay the side effects of these vaccines and potentially lie about the side effects of these vaccines. And I, this one is very, very personal for me, and I'm going to tell you guys why. I actually got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And I didn't want to get a vaccine. I don't think that I needed a vaccine. I don't have any comorbidities. I'm 27 years old. Uh, I don't live with anybody who's immunocompromised. So it seemed really unnecessary to me to have to get this considering my body would clearly be capable of fighting off COVID-19. I think the risk of death for me is like 0.0001% or something. Like I would be more likely to die from the flu. And people kind of use that just as a talking point. But trust me, I've looked up the data. It's a fact. You know what else is more likely for me to die of? Getting hit by a car. And I have been hit by a car and I haven't gotten COVID. So (laughs) pretty insane. Um, But I got vaccinated because the radio station that I used to work at, which then fired me, so I feel even more like an idiot, um, had a vaccine mandate. Cumulus Media had a vaccine mandate at all of its radio stations and... I guess I ended up acquiescing for a couple of reasons, even though I was really terrified about getting this thing. And it was because, one, I really could have used the money. I'm trying to buy a house. I, you know, might be getting married in the future. I want to have kids. And to me, it's really important to try to save as much money as possible. And also, I just really love doing the show. I love doing the radio show. And so I kind of weighed the risks. And I thought, based on the information that was available, Uh, the J&J seemed like the best option. I didn't really trust the mRNA vaccines. I didn't wanna have to get two doses, certainly. And the J&J vaccine um, seemed like, honestly, it was the least effective. So I figured if it's the least effective against COVID, it's probably the least harmful too. And I did, I was concerned about the blood clot issue. But if I had known then what I know now and what the FDA is saying about this blood clot issue, I I don't think I would have gotten this. And I think I, I probably would have declined to get any vaccine because I was really, really uncomfortable with the idea of getting the Moderna or Pfizer. So this is is really infuriating to me because the same people who tell you that we all have the right to make decisions about our own health when it comes to things like abortion and we all have reproductive rights and all that bs they turn around and they hide information from us or lie to us outright about decisions relating to treatment of the coronavirus because they want to force us all to get vaccinated and they instituted these uh, i think unconstitutional vaccine mandates for healthcare workers and federal employees and a lot of private businesses followed suit and implemented these vaccine mandates as well. And there are people now who are you know, facing severe side effects from the vaccines who probably weren't really at risk for COVID in the first place. And I've been reading through some of these um, documents about Pfizer recently and some of the potential uh, side effects from those vaccines as well, and that's really horrifying. And this is just the latest reminder that our medical establishment cannot be trusted. They lied to us about ivermectin. They lied to us about hydroxychloroquine. They lied to us about masks. They lied to us about social distancing, about how we needed to wipe down all of our groceries when we got home from the grocery store. And then they tried to say that being outside was bad for you and then being inside was bad for you and you had to stay home. But then we found out that staying home was actually the biggest risk to spread and that people within the same household were more likely to spread it to each other than passing a random stranger on the street. Man, I'm out of breath. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? It really is disturbing. Um, And this, this has really dangerous consequences for any future public health crisis because there are so many people out there, including myself, who are just not going to trust anything that the medical establishment tells us, particularly these federal bureaucrats who have clearly been incentivized by all of these grants and uh, relationships with other countries and the World Health Organization, that they're all corrupted and they're not willing to give us accurate medical advice because they really just want to advance a certain idea of In Fauci's case, for example, he was really big on the vaccines, and he was really big on the vaccines back when uh, the AIDS crisis was happening in the 1980s. His sole solution was, we need to get a vaccine for this, and he ignored early therapeutics. And guess what? We still don't have a vaccine for AIDS, but there are a lot of therapeutic treatment options. So Fauci in particular is really responsible, I think, for a lot of deaths in, in the United States. Uh, We also weren't allowed to talk about, remember, the fact that there were going to be deaths of despair from things like loneliness, alcoholism, drug addiction, and abuse, and uh, people who were not able to go in to get their cancer screenings or otherwise go to routine doctor visits that might have caught illnesses before they progressed to a point of posing a risk to people's lives. Uh, We masked children, uh, even though children aren't really at risk of, of Uh, getting sick and dying from COVID. Man, it's just, it's really depressing. It's really sad. Um, You know, I know people who died deaths of despair during the pandemic. I don't know anyone personally who actually died from COVID. Maybe that's a unique case. I don't know. But this J&J thing is just really bothers me. Um, And I know that you guys are in the same boat as me of really having just lost all trust in the people who are supposed to be helping us make accurate decisions about our health. And it really does force people to do their own research now because we don't know where we can turn to to find accurate information. It's time for this week's monologue. President Joe Biden delivered a speech Tuesday promising to combat rising inflation. Biden insisted that his plan was going to be far better than the so-called ultra MAGA plan, released by Republican Senator Rick Scott, who he incorrectly said is from Wisconsin rather than Florida. Of course, if Biden had so many good plans, why did inflation only recently hit its highest level in 40 years after he'd been in office for a year and a half? I'm not an expert on political campaigns, but conventional wisdom tells us that when you are the party in power, you should probably have some accomplishments to run on rather than just telling us that the other guy is definitely going to be worse. Let's go back to Ultra MAGA. Biden first invoked this rhetoric last week, claiming that the Ultra MAGA is a, quote, different breed of cat than just regular old MAGA. He went on to say that the Make America Great Again movement is the, quote, most extreme political organization in recent American history. Uh, didn't this guy campaign on the idea that he had a lifetime of experience working across the aisle in the Senate? Weren't we told that Biden was going to bring respect back to the White House and unite the country? That lasted about as long as one of the daily presidential power naps. It's worth asking what is so extreme about the Republican agenda that it's caused Biden to abandon his pledge to lessen the political divide. Are they supporting abortion up until the moment of birth, like Ohio Democratic Senate candidate Tim Ryan? Do they want to teach sexual orientation and gender identity to your kindergartner, like Democrats in Florida? Maybe instead they want to tell white children that they benefit from some unseen privilege and thus must atone for their innate oppression of black children. Perhaps they are attempting to undermine the Supreme Court by intimidating justices at their private residences, disrupting Catholic masses, threatening to burn the Eucharist, and committing acts of arson and vandalism. Or maybe they are telling their supporters that the Supreme Court is, quote, coming for them and making a call to arms like Democratic Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot did Monday night. These are all members of Biden's party doing these things, and yet he's telling us that it's Trump supporters who are the real extremists. Remember, Trump was impeached for allegedly inciting an insurrection. What was the evidence? It took him an hour to tell Capitol rioters that they should go home, and he earlier had told his supporters to quote, fight against voter fraud. Should Lori Lightfoot be removed from her office for telling the LGBTQ community, quote, we will not surrender our rights without a fight? How about Biden for taking a week to condemn a legal protest outside of Supreme Court members' homes that were meant to obstruct justice? UltramAGA is just a way for Biden to deflect from the fact that his party is the one truly causing chaos and undermining our institutions. But we all remember what happened when Hillary Clinton infamously called Trump supporters a, quote, basket of deplorables during the 2016 election. One helpful characteristic of the depraved and radical left is that it is incapable of learning lessons. Once again, Bentley has decided to join us on the program. Uh, We're going to talk about Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, the comedian who ignited something of a firestorm. Among left wing activists, when he dared to poke fun at transgender people in his Netflix special was attacked by a crazed attendee at his show at the Hollywood Bowl last week. He was tackled while he was on stage. Let's go ahead and watch the video. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for hip hop history.
1: Is that Will
0: Smith? So according to people who were at the show, after this guy tackled Dave Chappelle, he was quickly apprehended by security, who proceeded to, uh, bear with me, excuse my language, beat the shit out of him. And I want to warn you guys, this next clip is very disturbing and a little bit graphic. If you don't like to see limbs in bendy places where they don't belong, or people with Fat faces because they just got beat up, then maybe skip this one. But I'm gonna show you what this guy looked like after Dave Chappelle's security team got a hold of him. Pretty good. So Dave Chappelle kind of hilariously joked after this guy was rushed off of the stage that it must have been a transgender man. Good one, Dave. But then he ended up going to talk to the person who attacked him, and he said that this guy was uh, apparently mentally ill and was trying to bring attention to the issue of gentrification in his grandmother's neighborhood. Um, Definitely mentally ill, because I don't think that rushing Dave Chappelle on stage is really the best way to attack gentrification. Uh, But anyway, what's interesting about this story is you have Dave Chappelle, who, yes, is aligned with the right on issues of free speech and, you know, when the left goes too far on wokeism, but is still a liberal guy. And here he is being attacked by this mentally ill person on stage. Dave Chappelle is somebody who supports things like criminal justice reform. Well, he just got a taste of what criminal justice reform looks like when you're the victim because the LA County district attorney's office declined to pursue felony charges against this man who rushed the stage. They said that they did not believe that he was, uh, committing felony conduct. The statement from the LA County attorney's office says, quote, after reviewing the evidence, prosecutors determined that while criminal conduct occurred, the evidence as presented did not constitute felony conduct. So they kicked the case over to the Los Angeles City Attorney's Office, and they're charging him with a few misdemeanors. So he'll have uh, misdemeanor counts of battery, possession of a weapon with intent to assault, unauthorized access to the stage area during a performance, and commission of an act that delays an event or interferes with a performer. He faces, at worst, 18 months in jail. What hasn't been reported on as uh, aggressively as the video itself, or the fact that this guy tackled Dave Chappelle, is that he was carrying a replica handgun that had a switchblade in it. So the L.A. County District Attorney's Office is claiming that this guy didn't commit assault with a deadly weapon when he had a switchblade on his person when he went to tackle Dave Chappelle. Now, Dave Chappelle's lawyer has said that he's not happy that his assailant is not being charged with a felony. He said in a statement to the Rolling Stone, this is what Mr. Chappelle wants. Mr. Chappelle wants this case charged as a felony. 10,000 people saw Dave Chappelle assaulted on stage at the Hollywood Bowl last Tuesday night and the assailant had a deadly weapon on him. The fact that this isn't charged as a felony case by the DA is insane. I agree, it is totally insane. And just because somebody is mentally ill, that doesn't mean that you get to be violent without consequences, right? I mean, sometimes, sad to say, mentally ill people, if they have a predisposition to be violent, they have to go to jail. They have to pay the consequences for the action because they could be a danger to society. And we have seen time and time again, the disastrous effects of the left's soft on crime policies, particularly in California, um, either in regards to immigration, where you had Kate Steinle murdered by an illegal immigrant who had been deported something like five times before. You had the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre, where a guy was let out on, like, $5,000 bond and then drove his car through a parade of Christians and Christmas uh, paraders who were killed by this guy. And he had a a long rap sheet, like a decade-long criminal history, including tons of violent charges against him, violent convictions— And over here in Virginia, you have cases of prosecutors declining to press charges against people who loot or carjack or commit all these other crimes. And then you see people like Dave Chappelle who support criminal justice reform, and they don't get it until it happens to them. They don't understand until they are the victim of one of these crimes why it is so important to make sure that victims get justice. And so I hope that this really opens Dave Chappelle's eyes into what is happening to our criminal justice system when we enact these types of policies that allow career criminals and people who are uh, disposed to being violent to get away with, with crimes like this. The last topic that we're covering today is the baby formula shortage across the United States. And this is an issue that really cannot be overstated. Um, This is an issue about parents being able to feed their children. It really is that simple. For a number of reasons, many women are not able to fully breastfeed their children and a lot of women have to supplement with baby formula. But right now about 40% of the baby formula market is out of stock according to recent estimates and parents are getting desperate. Parents are, are describing going out driving miles from store to store, trying to get that last box of baby formula. Some people are bidding for baby formula on eBay. It really is a crisis of massive proportions, and cable news networks aren't really talking about it. I mean, I've seen coverage of it on Fox News, but to me, this should be wall-to-wall on pretty much every network because it really is such a dire issue for people's ability to feed their children. The Biden administration hasn't said a whole lot about it. I haven't really seen any statements go out by them. Instead... The only thing they have really said was in response to a question at a press briefing where Jen Psaki was like, oh, yeah, the FDA is working on it. Well, the FDA is apparently working on it, but there's no national stockpile of baby formula. And manufacturers have said that they're already operating at full capacity at this point. So they have to start solving the supply chain issues that are affecting not only the baby formula market, but also, of course, food and, and a number of other products that people are trying to get access to microchips. Um, And and there's also a a major product recall by the FDA on one of the major manufacturers of baby formula. So that's affecting this as well. But when really you look at the overall lack of concern about this, uh, outside of maybe the last couple of days where this started to gain traction, to me it's a reflection of a larger national lack of concern about children. People laugh about the idea that our birth rates in the United States are falling. They call it some, like, right-wing conspiracy theory. We masked up kids for two years and stunted their social development over a virus that couldn't even really harm them or kill them. And we made them get vaccines because of the concerns of neurotic adults who thought they were going to die because children were going to school. And the left is telling people to have fewer children because of climate concerns. I know in my generation, the millennials, there is a huge anti-child sentiment where people really talk about children in a very selfish way. And they say, well, I don't want to have kids because then I won't be able to travel or kids are going to affect my career or I won't be able to do whatever I want to do if I have kids. And our society has really devalued the idea of having a family and having children and the uh, the rewarding, uh, lifestyle that you have from having kids, all of that has really been diminished by this me, me, me culture in younger generations. And it's really unfortunate. And I think it explains a lot of why there hasn't been as much coverage of this baby formula shortage. I also want to remind people that it was just a few months ago that people on the left, including AOC, were downplaying looting specifically of baby formula because AOC claimed that it was just desperate parents at that time who were trying to get baby formula. Typically, desperate parents don't go and commit massive amounts of theft. That's just typically, historically, not what happens. And specifically in the case of baby formula, there are articles going back to 2010, 2015, There's a big one in 2018 from even left-wing outlets talking about the fact that baby formula has long been a target for looters who seek to resell it because it fetches a pretty high value on the black market. And not only that, but baby formula is often used by drug dealers to cut drugs like cocaine to save on the cost of producing drugs and increase potential profits. So it wasn't parents going out and stealing baby formula. It was thieves in the same vein as thieves who have been targeting other high-value products so that they can go resell them. And this has been exacerbated, of course, by the less soft on crime policies and the pandemic um, in the sense that lockdowns really aggravated crime in general, particularly among young people who weren't going to school or being in after-school programs. So AOC was excusing looting, the left was excusing looting, and now we find ourselves in a far worse crisis with baby formula because we thought that it was okay for people to just steal it. Therefore, driving up prices and lowering supply for consumers who actually want to legally purchase that product for their children. It really is um, a great example of how looting and theft and these crimes that the left just says, oh, well, they're nonviolent, are not victimless crimes. Even if you're stealing from a big box retailer, down the line, you are affecting a family that wants to purchase something legally. And we've seen um, recently in, in my uh, area of the neighborhood in Virginia, Northern Virginia, and the DC area, that thieves have been targeting eyeglasses. Where I live in Northern Virginia and in the DC area, multiple stores have been targeted by looters where they go in and they smash open all the glass cases and they steal these designer sunglasses or just eyeglasses in general. Again, driving up the price for people who might actually need glasses for their eyeballs, like I do, I'm a contact lens wearer mostly, but I wear glasses as well. And I wanna show you guys uh, this video from Alexandria, Virginia, that shows these looters going into an eyeglass store and stealing things off the shelves, watch. So again, whether it is eyeglasses, diapers, baby formula, what have you, this looting and, and thievery around the country is not a victimless crime. This exacerbates supply issues, it drives up prices for consumers who are actually looking to buy products. And the left's excusal of this, their dismissal of what's happening because they want to pretend that they're the compassionate party, they're not compassionate because one, they don't care about victims, and two, they don't care about the families out there who are trying to do the right thing and are, yes, obviously uh, deeply concerned about what's happening and scrambling to find these products for their children, but they're doing it the right way. And those people don't deserve to be punished because the left decides that some career criminal who runs in and smashes up an eyeglass store is deserving of our compassion. That's it for this week's episode of Unfit to Print. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on YouTube and Spotify. Go uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give me a five-star review. Write a review. That would be great as well. And if you'd like to become a premium subscriber, you can go to amberathe.supercast.com, and let me know down in the comments, if you do subscribe, what you would like to see in terms of premium content, and we'll be bringing that to you guys very, very shortly. Thanks again for watching, and we will see you next week.